Uh, well, as you know, if you've been around here for a while, we've been on a series in Ecclesiastes, but we're going to pause this weekend, um, pick it up next week again. But, but today we're going to stop and talk a little bit about what it means to be uh, the church here in Maple Ridge, in, in, in our city. Uh, because, of course, uh, this Sunday is our uh, annual general meeting. And so it's just a natural time to stop and to pause and to reflect back on the past year and to talk about where it is that we believe that God is leading us in this coming year. And of course, when we look back, there's all kinds of things to celebrate from this past year. Probably one of the, the, the most exciting things, one of the most beautiful things of this past year has been how many people God has been leading to come and to explore faith and to commit their lives to follow after him. And this past year, we had 15 baptisms and others who gave their life to follow Jesus and all kinds of people who were exploring faith. On any given Sunday here, there are people from all kinds of different places who are exploring what it means to know and to follow Jesus. And that is a beautiful thing. And they're involved in Alpha classes, but many of them are here simply because you've shared your faith with them and you've invited them, say, come and, and run with us and find out what it means to know and to follow after Jesus. And it's been so beautiful to watch as God has drawn all kinds of people to him. And he's drawn them from many different places. And, and in fact, from all kinds of different backgrounds, from Sikh and Punjabi and Persian and African and Asian. And of course, from European backgrounds. And it has been the, this growing, beautiful diversity in our congreg congregation that just reflects our city and reflects our nation in such a beautiful way. But the diversity in our church isn't just ethnic. It's also multicultural. I mean, God is in his grace has been bringing to our church all kinds of youth and young adults and young families with tons of kids. And, and if that's you, I mean, you just bring to our church such a, such a sense of vision and, and passion and an anticipation for what God is doing. And we're just so grateful that, that God has brought you here to be part of us. But he's also just as importantly brought to our church singles who are incredibly important to our church and, and people in the middle, uh, middle stages of life and empty nesters and seniors. And, and you also bring such important value to our church, strength and stability and wisdom and grace. And it's a beautiful thing. It's one of the real strengths of this church, of our church, is that, that God has brought people from all kinds of different ages and stages of life. And if God has brought you here, if you're like, this is kind of our home, this is, this is our church, that's not an accident. That's not like, oh, we kind of stumbled here. And it's, no, no, that's God's plans and his purposes in your life, but also in our corporate life as a body. And so we thank God for one another, for drawing us together into this church. Uh, we've also seen growth this past year uh, in, uh, in giving. You know, our vision as a church is to is that our city would know Jesus. Is that our city, whatever city it is that you live in, your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers, that, that they would know Jesus. And so uh, part of making that possible has been your faithful giving uh, as uh, uh, over this past year. And it, giving has increased overall by 9%, but in our operating budget by 16%. And that allows us to continue to do and expand the ministries that God has opened the door for us to do. It's also allowed us to fix and upgrade this building, which is really important. We want this building to be a place of ministry, a beacon in this community for decades to come. And so investing in making sure that it is healthy and strong is an important and well worth doing. So thank you for your generous and your faithful giving. 
And finally, by God's grace, we just continue to grow in numbers. I mean, if you've been around here for a while, you know the parking lot is filling up on a Sunday morning. You might have showed up here and found someone in your seat. And that's great. I mean, we, we, again, our vision is that our city would know Jesus. And so we want to fill this place with all kinds of people who come together to explore and then to worship and to follow and encourage one another as we follow Jesus. And so it's a good thing. And we're excited about that very thing. Even if it means you need to park a little further away. Even if it means you need to find a different seat to sit in on a Sunday morning. God is at work here. And we're so excited and we're growing in all kinds of ways and we celebrate that. But here's what I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning. Growth is good. And we praise God for the kind of growth that he is bringing around here. But growth is not the goal. The goal for us as a church rather is to grow deeper in our walk with God. Our goal is maturity. You know, a couple of years ago, uh, we uh, caught up with some friends that we hadn't seen for almost a decade. The last time we'd seen them, they, they had these two boys as age four and five years old. And, and so we were really excited to have them over for dinner one night. And, and I remember when they arrived at our house, they came through the door. First, first their wife, the wife came through the door. She's about uh, this tall. Then her husband came through the door. He's like this tall, fairly big guy. And then through the door came this monster. This guy, he's like like. I don't know, this tall. I mean, he was huge, 200 pounds. I was like, who's that? And they're like, oh, that, that's our 14-year-old son. I was like, what? How is that even possible? And then the next kid comes through the door, almost the same size. It's incredible. I stood in the, in the, in the hallway of our home with this, this little lady surrounded by these big, huge guys. And, and two thoughts came to my mind. Number one, she must swagger around town like no one messes with me because I got my boys here. And number two, I thought to myself, oh, man, I hope we got enough food. I mean, they, they, there's, they were just such big boys. But you know, you know what became evident through the course of that night? Their brains hadn't kept up with their bodies. I mean, they, they looked like fully grown men, those young boys. But their maturity wasn't there yet. There was still a maturing that had to happen in their life. See, here's the thing. You can grow in size without growing in maturity. A person can do that, but a church can also do that. And, and so today we want to talk a few moments about what it is that we want to grow, where we want to go. We want to continue to grow in size for sure, but we want to make sure that we are growing in maturity in the things that make a church vibrant and strong. And the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church in, in Ephesus, explains exactly what that is. Here's what he writes in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. He says this. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The Apostle Paul says that God has given his church, each church, this church, he's given uh, the gifts necessary among the members of the church so that we can grow in maturity. And then he describes what that kind of maturity looks like. And he says there are three characteristics that define a mature church. The first, he says, is unity in the faith. In other words, a maturing church has a growing understanding of what they believe and why they believe it. 
It's important for us in this church that we are continually growing in what we believe and why we believe it. Because you see, we live in a world that has all kinds of values and beliefs, some that are the same as ours and some that are profoundly different than ours. And our culture is incredibly sophisticated at subtly and sometimes not so subtly telling us what it is that they think that we ought to believe and how it is that we ought to live. And they come to their beliefs and their values in a way that is very different than the way that we do. You see, in our culture, we, there's this deep value of expressive individualism, which means that, that, that it's this idea that every individual is the ultimate and final arbiter in their life of what is most important for how they live. And that means that when it comes to the ethical decisions of life, the moral decisions of life, how we should live, how we should think, what is right and what is wrong, the highest authority in the, in the, in the life of a person who isn't a follower of Jesus is, is not some outside source. In fact, less and less these days it's even logic or science. Rather, the highest source of authority about how to live life is a person's personal experience, either theirs or someone else's. And that means that in our culture, stories and images have become incredibly important in shaping how we think, what we believe. It's no longer carefully thought out ideas to complex questions and, and ideas. Rather, it's plot lines of movies and, and sitcoms. And, and, and the thing that pulls our heart, the thing that helps make the decisions on what is right and wrong isn't reason or, or, or thinking about those things. Rather, it's empathy and sympathy. We say, oh, oh yeah, okay, we should. And you can see this in our culture all the time. I mean, one turtle with a straw stuck up its nose means that now hundreds of millions of people don't use plastic straws anymore. Even though, even though plastic straws are just as recyclable as all the other plastics that we have, and even though the, the plastic cup, uh, the plastic lid on the plastic Starbucks cup that you use now has more plastic than the straw ever did. No one uses plastic straws anymore. Stories and images carry the day, don't they? The problem with that, with that thing is that it's always subjective and whoever can tell the best story wins. Now, of course, stories and images are important and we should have sympathy and empathy and our personal experiences are real and valuable, but they are not and cannot become the foundation for how we think and see the world around us if we're followers of Jesus. Otherwise, you'll be tossed by every new idea and every great story that comes along. First, I believe this. Now I believe that. Now I saw this story. Now I heard that thing. Our foundation for all of life, for how we live and what we believe and why we believe it, comes from a source outside of ourselves. It comes from the Bible, which is the inerrant revealed word of God. That's the source of truth and life. The place to which we look for how to understand this life and how to live this life, both as a church and for you, it should be as a follower of Jesus. So that's why we continue to teach from the Bible week in and week out. It's why we believe in doctrines and theology and why we offer classes to help you understand the foundations of your faith. 
It's why we want you to be involved in a community group where you walk with your friends and you open the Bible and you say, this is what it says. What does this mean for me and how I live my daily life? It's why we encourage you to read through the Bible in a year. Not so that we walk in lockstep on every single issue, but so that there is a growing unity of the faith. So that we're transformed not by the stories that we hear or the images that appear on our social media feeds, but by the renewing of our minds by the word of God. See, it's key to us becoming a mature church. And here's why. Because as the culture around us drifts further and further away from the Judeo-Christian values that our culture used to have, they're going to put more and more pressure on us as individuals and as a church to conform to their way of thinking. And if we haven't learned to think biblically, if we don't know what we believe and why we believe it, then when that pressure comes, those issues will divide us. They will cause us to battle with one another and it will make us weak and impotent as a church. Are you being discipled by every story that you hear? By every media image that appears on your screens? Is it the movie plot lines in your life that are teaching you how to think about life and how to understand what it should be done? Or is it the word of God? And if so, are you walking with some people that are helping you do that? Are you regularly in the word of God? Are you allowing it to transform and renew your mind? As a follower of Jesus, do you know what you believe and why you believe it? Because if not, there's a, an important missing maturity in your life. And if we don't know together as a body of believers, there's a missing maturity for us. Paul says that a growing, maturing church knows what they believe and why. It's the first characteristic that Paul mentions. But it isn't the only one. There, there are some churches that think, look, if we just get our doctrine right, if we just have the right beliefs, then we're good. There's nothing more that we need to do. And Paul says, no, no, no. It's a good start. It's very important. But that's not the full picture of what maturity looks like. Here's, here's the second thing that he says. Here's what he says. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. See, the second attribute of a maturing church is that there is a group of believers who have a knowledge of the Son of God. Now, Paul isn't just repeating himself here. He isn't just saying, oh, guess what? You should just have more and more intellectual knowledge. No, he already talked about that. Rather, he's talking about relational knowledge. You see, there's some things that you probably know about my wife, just, just in general. I mean, you know that she's a, an elementary school teacher, very good elementary school teacher. That you, you may know that she's the mother of three kids. You obviously know that she's married to one of the most handsome, dashing, brilliant smart, hip people in the world. I mean, that's obvious, even if it's not always entirely obvious to her. Uh, <clears throat> but you don't know my wife like I do. I know what she loves and what drives her crazy. I know how to charm her and how to push her buttons. I know, uh, I know her fears and her hopes, her dreams and her aspirations. I know what kind of food she likes and what kind of movies will make her cry and what kind of movies she'll get up and walk out 10 minutes in because she's just going to bed because she doesn't care. Why do I know all that? 
because the kind of knowledge that I have of her is based on a deep and a very real relationship with her. And this is what Paul is talking about when he talks about a church that is mature, growing in knowledge of the Son of God. It isn't simply enough to have good theology and right doctrine if we don't have a real and growing relationship with Jesus. And that's something that we must do as individuals and we must do together as a church. So that's why we are and want to continue to talk about and help you develop what are known as spiritual disciplines. Reading your Bible, prayer, fasting, solitude, generosity. It's why we do something like Lent, where we invite you to, to take 40 days before Easter and, and to give up something as a way of preparing your heart for Easter. It's why we do church-wide prayer evenings and, 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 and worship evenings and why we have weekly prayer meetings. Because being a Christian and as a church, we need to have a growing relationship with Christ. It's the heartbeat of what we're all about. See, churches and individuals who don't grow in this area fall into one of two traps. On the one hand, they can become very, very dogmatic and judgmental. I mean, they have the right doctrine, they have the right, the right beliefs, and they just become cold and hard and judgmental. <clears throat> we do not want that here. On the other hand, they can, they can swing hard the other way and be all about, you know, caring for the poor and the needy, and they simply become a, a social service agency rather than the living, breathing body of Christ that walks in a real relationship with him. See, the second point that Paul makes is this, a maturing church has a growing relationship with Jesus. And then Paul has one more characteristic of a maturing church. He mentions it right at the very beginning of this description. He says this again, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. Paul says the third characteristic of a church that is maturing is that it is filled with people who do what he calls works of service. <clears throat> Serving others. I mean, that, that's a sign of maturity, isn't it? When a child is born, the adults serve that child, don't they? I mean, everything. They, they feed that child. They carry that child. They wipe that child's bum and change its diaper. I mean, everything. But as that child grows up, as it matures, they, they have to do less and less for that child until, until that child realizes there's others around them who need to be served. That's when you see genuine maturity coming into their life, right? I mean, in, in my home, we don't ask the babies to do what the adults do. In my home, we don't ask the guests to do what the adults do. But if you're part of my family, as you mature, we expect that you will do more and more to serve the others around you. It's simply a sign of maturity. Now, now that doesn't mean that the adults don't get a chance to rest and relax and enjoy, but they always serve. And the same is true of a maturing church. If you're a guest here among us, if you're someone who says, I'm just here to find out about Jesus, we just welcome you and we just want to serve you. We just want to give you the space and the opportunity to just explore who Jesus is and what a God is like and what it would mean to follow him. And you're just, you, just, you just take all the time you need. But if this is your family, I mean, if, if this is your home, if Ridge Church is your church, so to speak, then the expectation is that 
that as you are growing, you will do what adults do, that you will serve, that you will protect, that you'll provide financially for the family, that you will disciple, that you will use whatever gifts it is that God has given you to build up the body of Christ. And not everyone has to do the same thing. I mean, if, if, if everyone did the dishes in our house and no one cooked, it wouldn't be long till there was no dishes to wash. And we just lie on the couch, lethargic, slowly starving to death, right? Everyone has a different gifts. You just have to do your part, whatever part that is. You know, one of the couples in our uh, community group, uh, they, God has just given them this, this gift, this calling to care for the homeless in our neighborhood. And, uh, and he was telling me that last fall, he helped one of the one of the homeless in our neighborhood get back to Winnipeg where their family was. And so he drove them from here to the airport in Vancouver. He bought them a ticket back to Winnipeg. But because they were homeless, they didn't have the proper ID to get on a plane. You know, you can't get on a plane without ID and they didn't. And, and so they spent six hours there with them, helping them get on the plane. And he didn't know what to do. So he prayed and God sent to them an RCMP officer who worked with them four and a half hours past when his shift was over to help get this individual on a plane back to Winnipeg. And the story is, is I mean, there's all sorts of twists and turns that I don't have time to tell you right now, but here's my question. Who does that? Who, who spends their time to drive somebody, a homeless person, all, all the way to, to the airport and then pays from their own money for a ticket and then spends six hours of their day to help them? You know who doesn't do that? I don't. You know who else shouldn't do that? You shouldn't do that unless God has given you that gifting and calling. But you know who does? This couple in our group that God has given that particular gifting and that particular calling and it's so beautiful. And because they're part of us and we're part of them, their story, that story is part of our story. And our stories are part of, of their stories. Don't do what they do, but you do have to do what God has called you to do. And it doesn't have to be church ministry, so to speak. I mean, we couldn't possibly have enough jobs around here for all of you to do some church job around the church, even if we wanted to. And of course, we do have needs around here. I mean, come and serve here if you want. But the calling of Jesus on your life is to use the gifts and the talents to serve as light in the world around you so that the body of Christ here might be built up. How has he gifted you? Where is he calling you to serve? If you're not serving, you're missing an area of maturity in your life. It's what the adults do. And if you don't know what that is, then you should start praying, saying, God, help me know. You should start chatting with people who know you, saying, what, what are the gifts that God has given me? But then you should start doing works of service to build up the body of Christ. See, the third characteristics of a church that is growing maturity is it is a church that is growing in its willingness to serve others. So Paul lays out these three characteristics. Know what you believe and why. Grow in a real relationship with Jesus. Find your place to serve. Here's what he says about a church that is doing that. He says that this kind of church becomes Mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Huh. Oh, that's the goal. That, that's, that's what we want to be a church, a community of Jesus that's not perfect, will never be perfect. 
but that it's seeking a maturity so that we attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's where we're going. And if we pursue that, as we pursue that, as we have this kind of maturity among us as a church, the apostle Paul says that there, there are certain things that we can expect. This fact, what he describes next, here's what he says in verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. If we grow in maturity, the way that Paul describes, the way that God wants us to as a church, then every time our culture comes up with some new crazy and wild thing, we say, what? When that happens, then we don't panic. And, and, and we aren't swayed just because they tell a, a compelling story that tugs on our heartstrings. And we don't go to war with ourselves because we don't really know what we believe and why. And, and we won't be led astray if someone comes among us claiming to be one of us, but teaches, us a but teaches a gospel that is not the one that is revealed in the word of God. And if we grow in that kind of maturity, we won't simply circle the wagons hunkered down and whimper and just wait for Jesus to return and get us out of this bad, bad, bad place. No, instead, if we live our lives the way that the Apostle Paul calls us to, the way that God wants us to, we'll walk in strength. I mean, this is the sign of a mature church, strength. Strength and confidence in the midst of the pressures from outside and strength and confidence from the pressures that inevitably come from walking together in community. It's the first sign that the Apostle Paul talks about. Here's the second, verse 15. He says this. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Second sign of a mature church is this, truth. Truth in love, of course. Not an angry truth, not a judgmental truth, but still the truth. A church that still speaks the truth about God and Jesus and sin and salvation and hope and life. Still being light in the midst of the darkness, but doing it with love and with grace. Each year, uh, the camp that we're part of, Camp Quantos, hires all kinds of staff to come and, and to serve the kids who come to summer camp. And uh, as part of joining the staff, each person is required to sign a staff code of conduct that includes, among other things, an agreement to the orthodox biblical view that sex is to be reserved exclusively for those who are in a covenant marriage between a man and a wife. Well, this past year, one of the people who wanted to join the staff took exception to that clause and brought it to the media and said, this is an example of discrimination towards the LGBTQ plus community. And you can imagine the ensuing media uproar. I mean, the camp was on local news. It was on, on national news and they were painted as being homophobic and backwards thinking. And as a result, quite a number of, of local schools in that area uh, that had booked for that year for, to bring their, their kids to school there or to the camp there backed out. And there was all kinds of pressure upon them. And I talked to Scott. He was the, director of the, of the executive director of the camp and, and he told me two fascinating stories. The first is this, he said he, he had reporters and actually quite a few people who asked him, how can parents know that you'll treat their child the same when they believe something different? Now think about that. How, 
They, they think that unless people believe the exact same thing as each other, they can't treat each other right and well and with dignity and with love. I couldn't understand how that would be. And yet that's exactly what we're called to. It's a mark of a mature Christian and of a mature church to speak the truth and still love others, even as we do. And that's what Camp Quanos did. He, he, he told me the second story. He said, on the day that camp started last year, he went down to where all the kids were being checked in and all their parents were hanging around. And there was these two mothers having a conversation while their kids were checking in. He just stopped and said hi. And, and they'd been reading the article in the news about, you know, this camp and its views. And, and one of the ladies looked at him and said, well, sorry, what was your name again? He said, Scott. She said, she said to her friend, that's the Scott from the article. That's the guy. And he said, well, l let me explain to you again that, you know, we can love people even as we have different views, even have we different beliefs. It's always been what we do around here. It's always what we will be. And one of the ladies, one of the ladies said, yes, I know, because I am just dropping off my two queer children to join your camp for this week. She said, I, I brought them here for years and they've always been treated good. And if they didn't, I would never bring them back. Huh. Look at that, eh? A camp, a church that is mature can speak the truth and love and it becomes a beautiful and a powerful thing. That's the kind of church we want to be. That's a sign of a mature church. Here's the last sign of a mature church. In verse 16, he says this, from him, from Jesus, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each does its part. He says the whole church, everyone doing their part as God has gifted and called them, grows and builds itself up in love. The sign of a mature church is love. If we do what Paul calls us to, if we know what we believe and why, if we have real relationships with a real relationship with Jesus, if we use the gifts and talents that he has given us to serve one another, then this place will be known as a place of love. I mean, people will be drawn here. You will be drawn here like a moth to a flame because it, it's filled with love. You know, I was talking with one of the ladies in the church. And by the way, she, she told me that I could share this story with you. And she, I was chatting with her and she said to me, she said, uh, I was invited by my ex-daughter-in-law to go wedding dress shopping with her. I said, wait, 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 can, can you explain that again to me? You were invited by your ex-daughter-in-law to go wedding dress shopping with her. Help me understand this. She said, sure. She said, our ex-daughter-in-law divorced our son. She was an alcoholic and abusive, and it was a nasty and a brutal divorce. And she said such nasty and terrible things, not only to her son, but to us. At one point, she told us that she wished we were dead. And, and, her family made physically threatening gestures towards us. She said it was so terrible. But she said, but before her son and her ex-daughter-in-law got divorced, they had a, a baby. And, and the, this couple, the, the grandparents now became the, the go-between as that, that grandchild was passed from the son to the, the, the ex-daughter-in-law and back and forth. And she said that during COVID, the, the, the ex-daughter-in-law would come and spend time with them, pickups and, 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 um, 
and uh, that she had, uh, by that time, she had another baby with her new partner and she was continuing to work on her recovery. And, and, and as they continued to interact, their relationship began to grow. But she said it wasn't easy. She said, we were angry. We wanted our pound of flesh. We struggled. We really struggled, she said, to be kind. And she says there was a lot of prayer and love and support from her community group, from their community group. And they knew that for their granddaughter's sake, that they would uh, always be in a relationship with this mother. And so she said this, we had to choose to love her. Sometimes multiple times a day, but God helped us through it. And she told me that now they've been invited to be godparents to their, their granddaughter when, their kids are, when those kids are baptized in an Anglican church. And, they, and they're invited to the wedding of their ex-daughter-in-law to her new partner. And she was invited to go wedding dress shopping with her as a stand-in for her mother who was out of town. What an amazing story. The power of love when people who follow Jesus follow his example. When they love their enemies and pray for those who curse them. then the result is a renewed and restored relationship. The result is opportunities to share the love of Christ with others. The, the result is peace where there once was war. Love where there once was hatred. It's just one of many stories that is happening here among us as we follow after Jesus. I mean, I know a story of refugees to this country who were, who were going to be evicted from their place and didn't have a place to go and, 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 and didn't have credit score and, and, and weren't sure where they were going to go. And, and somebody from our church was chatting with someone else from our church who, who heard this story and said, oh, my parents might have a suite. And they, and they made a connection and they have a place to stay. And it's a beautiful thing. That's love and action. And I know of another story in a, of a family in our church whose neighbors were going through a tough time. And, and the family uh, from our church not only helped with groceries and expenses, but they also began to help with the mortgage payments. Wow. Wow, that's love in action. That's the kind of love that costs something. It's a beautiful thing. And, and I got all sorts of other stories that I could tell you, but I'm running out of time. It's happening all over our church as we follow what Jesus calls us to do. As each person does the part that God has given them. And our whole body is joined together and held together in this beautiful community called Ridge Church. Then we grow and build ourselves up in love and this place becomes a place of love. That's the kind of church we want to be. That's where we're going. Of course, we want to continue to grow. Of course, we want to have more people come and worship with us. We welcome that, even as there will be some growing pains around that. But more than that, above all, we want to become a church that attains the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We want to be the kind of church that is mature in the eyes of Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray together. God, what a beautiful picture of who you want your people to be. And Father God, you didn't just say, here it is, best of luck to you, but you have given us among ourselves all of the giftings and all of the talents and all of the callings necessary to be exactly what you call us to be. And Father, we do that corporately, but that means that each of us has to do our part. And so I pray for each of us today, God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see where we need to grow. 
where we need to go deeper in our relationship with you, where we need to, to have a better understanding of what it is that we believe and why it is, where we need to serve and use the gifts that you've got, given us. Father, so that this place is a place of strength and truth and love in a world of darkness and, and, and chaos. Oh God, would you lead us even as we grow, that we would grow deeper in you. We thank you for what you're doing, God. Here, we, we, we bless you for what you're doing. And Father, we commit to continue to follow you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming and joining us today again as we follow Jesus together. Not just as individuals, of course, as individuals, but together corporately as the body of Christ, as Ridge Church in this place, gathered here on Sundays and scattered to wherever it is that God has called you to live and work and to play and to study. But as we go, may we live the life that he calls us to. Here's the, the words that I want to send you out with today. Uh, just before this passage we've looked at in Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurable, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is worked within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. See you next week.